By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. This week we're back to our Netflix original schedule with a 2020 coming-of-age com comedy drama, I like to call them a dramedy, um, called The Half of It. Uh, this was written and directed by Alice Wu, and it is one of those very personal, uh, really auteur-driven films that uh, we used to call indie. It's hard to, I guess it's an indie film, it's hard to tell when it's a uh, Netflix original, because... Um, but it it was a, it came out of the Tribeca Film Festival, so I guess it's an indie. But it has that sort of very personal feeling um, of the movies that you used to be able to see in like one movie theater in just the biggest city in the country, and that was kind of it. Um, but it's those tend to be my favorite kind of films. Um, it's really lovely. It stars Leah Lewis. Um, yeah, what else? Do I, oh, you need to know that this is a bit of a retelling of Cyrano, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, the classic French play. Um, about the man with a gigantic nose who is in love with a woman named Roxanne and he believes that because of his nose she could never love him back. Uh, she falls in love with a man named Christian who's just a pretty person that she doesn't know very well but he's very pretty and so Cyrano uses Christian sort of as a vehicle to speak through him um, and also as a way to he's theoretically helping Christian win Roxanne over um, using his Cyrano's words. Um, so this movie is yet another, this is one of those, you know, sort of like Pride and Prejudice, it's one of those stories that's been adapted and adapted and adapted, uh, it's an absolute classic, so the half of it is yet another iteration of that uh, classic story, um, and it's a really lovely one, I hope you enjoy our discussion. Okay, um, guys, this was very much my jam, I, this, I was, it was delightful, it was simple, but I liked it very much. And in the end, ultimately, it cared just as much about platonic friendship relationships as it did about romantic ones. And that's very important to me. And I just did. And it was Cyrano. And it made me happy. I bet Steve didn't like it. It was fine. <laughs> it just feels like the kind of movie you wouldn't like. I wouldn't watch it on my own. I wouldn't go for it. Like, it's not my type of movie, but... I did enjoy the first, I would say the first half, and then the second half I felt it was kind of loosey-goosey, or I don't know, just it was going all over the place in terms of like how things were happening. 
were you deeply not what happened just how they were happening like how they got forced into i don't know like in his room kind of really started there after the party like when both of them were in his room and i was just like why is this how is this happening this is a weird contrived thing and then they're in, then they're in the uh they go to the springs i guess um and i just thought all of that all of that stuff was kind of awkward and like plot wise and directed wise and written wise um and uh that's how i kind of felt through most of the half the second half of the movie even the church scene and um but um i still enjoyed what like happened to the characters in the end i guess like how things got i guess resolved were you extremely bothered by the fact that they were lying to the girl like it you've got mail notes well the girl didn't end up with either of them so it was fine Saya, what did you think? <laughs> I also like this movie a lot. Um, I don't think I've really seen a movie that focused on platonic friendships that much. Usually, like, even if there's, uh, it felt like the platonic friendship was the most important one. Like, if I see a platonic friendship, oftentimes there's a romantic relationship that is more important. So I appreciated that this very much centered those two. And I don't think I've ever seen a platonic relationship between a man and a woman. Usually, like, if I see movies about platonic friendships, it's same gender. So I appreciated that. And I liked that they valued friendship and love. And also like the, the father-daughter relationship was very understated, but it was also very important and felt very touching and real. So yeah, I enjoyed this movie a lot. It's cute. Yeah, I really like a movie that is really interested in human relationships and doesn't define human relationships as like love stories. Um, because I think a lot of movies I think they were they were very drawn to the idea of a genuine love triangle because you know that that um, phrase has always confused me because it's actually always your sort a of love triangle is actually a V yeah. yeah so the idea of like completing like you have to have somebody who's LGBT in order to like complete the triangle um, which I think there aren't a ton of movies where it is like a fully triangle and so that's very interesting although then the one guy reversed course on the V. So I don't know, maybe it was a V ultimately, but it was at least more interesting than a love triangle. But I think that a lot of movies that were exploring that would have abandoned, um, especially because it was working off Cyrano. And like, so there's a structure to that, but then they veered off of it to care a lot more about the relationship between the Cyrano figure and the Christian figure, which um, is lacking. Like it's, that's not in Cyrano. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And I think a lot of movies would have lost interest in that relationship once he found out that she wouldn't love him back. Like most movies would have been like, oh, it was you all along. And then they would have ended up together and then they wouldn't have, or it would have been a conflict. He would have been like, what, you're gay? Oh my God. And then there maybe would have been an apology, but it wouldn't have ended on a note of ultimately this relationship is just as important, if not as important to main character, whose name I can't remember, Ellie. Um, yes, as the, the potential maybe something with the, the other woman. It was lovely. I think it's more of like an X that's going, or an X or a T, however you want to look at it. 
because uh, uh, there's four because there's four characters because she's also in a relationship technically, yeah. and he also ends up liking Ellie at some point. So there's so. Ellie and Paul, Paul and Trey and Trig. Trig. Aster. Is it Trig? Aster. Aster. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I was watching, I don't remember what TV show it was, but I was watching something where they said the, they said each other's names all the time. <laughs> and it drove me crazy because like, that's not how human beings speak to each other. So when people do it in movies, it bothers me because it feels fake, but I always come away knowing the character's name. Yeah. Whereas they don't really use each other's names very much here, which is good. That's why you have to, you have to make other characters say other people's names outside of the scene. Like, Oh, that's how you do it that's how you make it work um because they that's, that's how villain works. that's how villains are built right you talk about them a lot without without them being there what does screenwriting 101 tell us saya <laughs> well remember what screenwriting 101 tells us and honestly rules are written to be broken um yeah. i will say i do like the parks and rec approach where you just have chris traeger and a weird quirk of his he's just like kelly bedard like, you know, like he just says the characters' names. I'm like, it's weird, but they acknowledge the weirdness and it is very helpful. You know what? I actually, that's one of Chris Traeger's things that like in his first season before he was a total cartoon when he was just kind of an interesting character who's kind of a parody of Sam Seaborn, but not really. That was one of his little ticks that I totally bought because you can so see him going to like a corporate strategy conference or something and them saying, when you see people say their full name so that they not only are they reinforced with the idea of like he remembers me I must be really important and then they like you more but also you're repeating it for yourself to help yourself remember like in terms of like strat like social strategizing that's a mm -hmm. thing I totally buy from that character actually even though it is like a cute little trope that he does that becomes like an imageable thing um but <laughs> Uh, I, I respond just general thoughts on the movie or just <laughs> yeah uh, I mean it's one of those simple lovely movies that like there's not a lot to analyze I will say one of the things that did feel contrived to me was like that I'm like what kind of hellhole has a mandatory senior talent show that was only <laughs> felt forced because like having a talent show let her like that really sweet moment where like Paul got her the guitar which is really cute um, but then I'm like, what kind of school makes each senior student have a solo in their talent show? That just feels cruel and unusual. Was it mandatory? Yeah, yeah, it was mandatory. It's, yeah. Yeah. It was like a, a course, man, I don't know. The teacher said it was mandatory. Maybe it was the music, maybe it was the music class mandatory. Like it was it was the school's sort of open thing, but for music class you had to do it. That makes sense because there were None of the other characters were in the talent show. Right, all the other, well, yeah. Even though the, the girl was the Aster, Astrid? Yeah, she was in music class, wasn't she? Yeah, she was because there was like a whole, I thought that was very cute, but it was very corny, the whole, she's singing in a chorus, but it sounds like she's singing alone. Or was that choir? Was that the, or was that the church choir? I think that was school. It was school. Okay, yeah, so I don't know. Was this based on a book? It kind of felt based on a book. I don't think so. Do I just assume everything that's about teenagers is based I, on a book? I know that the place is made up. I, because I spent the first 10 minutes being like, is this set in British Columbia? 
Oh, there's a place called Squamish. Yeah, I'm still not quite sure where that is, but. They, I, I did look it up and it said that it was a fictional location for the movie. They did, as much as they didn't say each other's names that often, they definitely said the name of the town a lot. <laughs> what are you doing in Squamish? And, and I like it's only sort of mythology is that they never won the, the football game. Mm. And so, and that he won, or sorry, never even scored in a football game. And he scored for the first time. So he's like their town hero. My elementary school was like that. It was very, very small. So like in order to even have a sports team, everyone in the class had to be in it, like on the team was how small the school was. And because of that, you had all the non-athletic kids on all your teams. And so they were, it was terrible. And I was the only person to score a single basket in, um, no, it was, it was soccer that we only scored one goal all season. I was the only person to score a goal in soccer. We did score a couple baskets in basketball, but that's because I was decent at basketball, being a foot taller than everybody else. I once got a basket, a swoosh during volleyball. A swoosh? You got a a swoosh? But it was like a basketball swoosh in in the volleyball gym. Um, Like you accidentally put it through the basketball hoop? Yeah, it hit off my foot over the net and it went into the basketball niche. That's out of bounds though, Fargo. Oh no, it was out. But, I like that's it, your athletic achievement though. Actually, uh, we won a volleyball championships and I was the best server and I'm still a really good server of volleyball. Wow. Yeah. Have you how do you know that? Have you had occasion to play volleyball in adulthood? Yes. Uh we have family picnics every summer and we set up a net and play volleyball. How quaint. It's like <laughs> something they would do in Squahamish. Yes. Sure. Yes, to- my, my my family's very sporty, so. Cute. <laughs> um, so this movie. Sport achievements. One thing I appreciated about this movie was Paul's reaction to finding out Ellie was gay. Because I think a lot of times when we find homophobia in films, it is like a cartoonish homophobe. And so I liked how this was like, it's just like he was, he'd never left Squahamish before, Squahamish before. And he was in a, it's a very religious town. So like his instant reaction is like, well, no, I've always been told gay people go to hell, you're going to hell. But then I like that he like took the opportunity to learn. And then like, yeah. you know, his love confession to her at the end was like, I wouldn't change anything about you. And I'm like, that's actually really nice because I feel like, showing just people as like oh I'm a cartoon homophobe or I'm a cartoon racist it it makes it very easy for us to think of them as like other and just like this unredeemable villain but I think it's a lot more interesting to have a character that we know and like and I really liked Paul as a character and see that they oh they have this way of thinking and then seeing how they kind of change their mind so I thought that was very interesting and well done. I totally agree with you I think that that um that is something that we don't depict often enough is like we, we have a tendency to sort of write off people who were raised in communities that have resulted in them voting what we would call wrong or, you know, having certain beliefs um, that we think of as close, well, that are closed-minded, um, but it's because they, like, genuinely don't know any better, and um, that particular issue is a really interesting one. Um, I had a friend in university who came from a really, really religious family Um, and he was in the process of discovering he was gay when we were friends, and it was 
so fascinating because his struggle that he was going through was like, he genuinely believed that if he was gay, he was going to hell. And so then he was grappling with the fact of like, no, but like, I don't want these feelings and I'm not in, I can't control them. Like I have wished them away and they won't go away. So how is that possible? If like, that means I'm just automatically going to hell and I have no save it. And it was fascinating to watch him evolve on that front. And the only, but he believed it for so long that like, it just meant he didn't want it to me. Like when Paul was saying like, you're going to hell, he wasn't saying it in like a judgmental way of like, you deserve to go to hell. He almost had like a sadness to him of like, that breaks my heart that my best friend is going to hell, but there's nothing to do about it. And then like he educated himself. And I think that's so, I think someone who changes their mind to find the right way is so much more like deserving of like, it it should be lauded more than we give them credit for because I think a lot of people, you know, we just take for granted, oh, well, you were raised to know everything the right way already but anyone who manages to like put themselves back on the right track when they were set somewhere else is I think so much more impressive and and it seemed like his reaction was also sort of out of like the rejection and anger at the same time so it was sort of just like a you're going to hell thing in the moment and then afterwards he did the research I also like that his mom was way more upset about the prospect of changing the sausage recipe yeah oh yeah I saw that coming yeah, I was so sad. Nobody in his family tried his sausage taco. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like he was so happy when Ellie and her dad tried it. That was like one of my favorite scenes. Like he was like, they genuinely liked it. And he was so happy. And I'm like, no one in this boy's family even bothered to try it. And that made me really sad. But I totally, that rang very true to me. This family that's like fanatical about sausage <laughs> and they've got this one way that they always do it. If you come in and say like, hey, I have this new idea. That actually happens in every show about like a family run restaurant or something. There's always like the one kid who like wants to go to culinary school or something. And he comes in and he's like, what if we put paprika in the recipe? And his dad's always like, what? (laughs) Never, I won't even try it. And then he tries it in the third act, you know? I mean, it rang true. I just thought Paul was like such a very sweet character. It just made me sad that nobody supported him until Ellie and her dad tried it. Yeah, I was worried in act one though, because I think that they did such a good job with his complete inability to communicate that I was kind of like, oh, is this kid dumb? I don't I don't know. Is he yeah. really? Because I also do struggle with the premise. They tried really hard to give him answers whenever she was like why do you like this girl but he had not spoken to her so I always struggle with that premise but it was like they had to get the movie started and that's where we were starting from and so um I was always I was a little skeptical but then they did a good job I mean they did the sort of stunt look he's a good guy which was the thing where the guy made fun of her on her bike and then he stood up to them which was a little bit like okay that's a little too easy but then they developed the relationship from there in a really compelling way where I thought that Paul like became more interesting, but I was worried in act one, my main criticism, I was like, remember to mention that you don't think the Christian character was developed well enough as like genuinely good, which is what I think is the most interesting element of Zero. Um, I think there was a, an in- uh, a moment in there where he said that his, like where he pointed out that even though he was dumb 
his love was still love like it was still something that he felt and that and that was more of an ellie true like character moment for her to realize that like it it can be all these different things yeah well i certainly love the thing that they sort of ultimately came down to which is that love is the effort you put in um and that's something he said very early on and i think that's really interesting too is the idea of like i think with a narrative like this you one of the temptations is to slip into like uh, there's the all-knowing smart girl who like no one gets but she's like a she's too good for her small town and she's got it all figured out she's got nothing to learn from these dumb people she's just there to teach them that like beauty is more than skin deep or whatever she's supposed to teach them and in this case like she had plenty to learn from not just him from both of them too and I thought that was useful and I, I love the conclusion of like we do have a tendency to sort of glamorize love and, and be like, it's all about the emotions that you feel and all stuff. But no, it's about like what you're willing to do for someone and how much like you care more about them and like putting in, it's the effort. And I thought that was like a really lovely, simple lesson for him to be able to teach her. That was like, so, so simple that it was like, almost something she wouldn't have been able to figure out on her own because she overcomplicates things so much because she's one of the smart kids. Whereas he's just like, no, it's pretty simple. It's a lot. And also that like love is the effort you put in and that also applies to friendships. Yes. One of my all time favorite narratives. And also love for anything that you do. And like, it's just, yeah. just any connection is like that effort that you put into it and yeah we tend to use the word love and meet when we mean romance but love is all sorts of things yeah because it's also like make you know getting the pork recipe from her dad or like showing up to push the button or whatever it is she does for her dad at the train station or (laughs) you know all those things that like for all those different people and for herself do you do you think that Paul and the dad are going to open up a store? <laughs> that's that's where I was getting at. It looked like it was getting at. Sure. What's the dad's PhD in? Engineering. I think. Yes, it was engineering. So that's like not useful for making dumplings, really. But he was making food. He definitely earlier. has like a family dumpling recipe because he had that yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like he was teaching Paul some things too, so. Which that was another relationship I really enjoyed. It's like that weird beginning of a friendship between Paul and the dad. Yes. I do always like the sort of, um, like when there's a friend character who like their parents for whatever reason aren't really a factor. And so then they kind of attach themselves to um like the sort of more stable present parent in the picture that's always a cute relationship yeah like anyone in sandy cohen like anyone other than seth you know no you're not oc people i didn't watch the ocs oh my god god (laughs) wow you have so much to fix (laughs) (laughs) sandy cohen all-time greatest tv dad that's all you need to know Okay. <laughs> that that's Adam Brody's character's dad, right? Correct. Played by Peter Gallagher. From okay, yes. Page. 
interesting that you say he's the greatest TV dad. I have to watch it because there's been a lot of great TV dads. He's the greatest TV. Keith Mars is up there, and I am I am partial to Mr. Matthews. Um, but Mr. Matthews gets so overshadowed by Mr. Feeney that there's like not a lot to be done. So yeah, no, greatest TV dad of all time. Um did anyone else have anything? This movie is very simple and love, but don't let that discourage you from watching it, everyone. It's so nice and lovely and more com complicated and nice than you would think based on the description. I think it was just the the moments where they were trying to have this weird dramatic um, like reaction from all the characters in like a moment. I thought those all were just just didn't work out. Like the the reaction that our, the audience was supposed to feel, or just they all felt very awkward and contrived and just like for forcing them to react in these moments. And they could have just had different ways of doing that less spectacular less in front of the public less you know like that sort of thing yeah i the, the church scene was a little bit much yeah i will say that and trig in general i was like mm, you're not a person <laughs> everyone else here is a real yeah. person and you're a cartoon person and i don't like that um yeah and sometimes like like her english teacher being in the church congregation and being like this is what i call <laughs> intervention I'm like okay I could do without that it literally like had to work her back in because they wanted her in that first scene I don't know but I never trust that actress because she was Hannah's mean mom from girls <laughs> like oh mm -mm, you're not for me um, oh <laughs> yeah and it was weird because well I understand but like she she wanted Ellie to do the essays so her students would do well in her class like it was almost like she was, she was the one that wanted her to do all the essays. Yeah, she was one of those teachers who like picked a student and was like, this student will succeed and like did not care if the others didn't succeed. So she was like, I'm gonna read six essays written by this one person so that I don't have to read bad essays from a bunch of kids I don't care about when like her job is to care about all of them, not just the one special one. Yeah, she's a bad teacher, but a good maybe friend to Ellie. Yeah, of. she was a good single student mentor. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I do always find that a little annoying is that like these movies are always about like the most special kid in class, like the girl who's smarter than everyone who like no one sees how wonderful she is. Whereas like most people who are overlooked the way that she is in act one are overlooked because they're just normal. They're just there, like they're not secretly special. And so I always do have a moment of like, okay, but maybe she doesn't know every literary reference and every famous painter and isn't like secretly the most wonderful person in the world but has somehow managed to go overlooked. And in a town like that, she would have been in class with these same kids from like junior kindergarten always a weird thing I really liked her speaking voice though like she just mm -hmm. had a really nice soothing speaking voice I noted that many times during the movie I don't yeah it was just one of those special kid movies but that's okay because she was sweet and that she can be special it, it did feel a little slow and long in some places but 
that that was another thing of the movie I thought could be fixed, cut. I don't know, some cuttings, but. What were you gonna say, Saya? Yeah. Um, I was gonna say I kind of believed her being like overlooked, not like overlooked, but like not blending in with the other because she was like the only person of color at that school. Like I didn't even see. Maybe I missed some like other people. Well, I guess Aster herself was um, a person of color, but she is, Aster was white passing and she's just really pretty. So like that kind of made her popular, but like Ellie's the only Chinese girl in the town. And I think if you're just like kind of naturally shy as Ellie was like introverted, I feel like I could definitely believe that she didn't really hang out with the other kids. Oh yeah, and I, I, I thought- And plus like with all her family, Sorry, say that again. You cut out a little. Say that. No, um, I forgot what I said. No, it was just just your last sentence. Last sentence. Yeah, I forgot the last sentence. Um, but I, I, I do. It's not the the fact that she like didn't fit in and wasn't like super popular that I found hard to believe. It's the. It's not even hard to believe. It's just these movies are always about the kid who is the smartest one in class. Yeah. And as someone who was like, not the smartest one in class, but like one of the people who was like, not one of the cool kids, but, and like was one of the smart kids, but like was just one of the, like, you know, everyone's, everyone is one of the, as opposed to these movies are always like, but this really special one. And then I kind of get mad at the everyone in the class. Cause I'm like, okay, f- like she's obviously so smart. And no one else is that smart. So why don't you, I don't know. But they were all also underestimating girl whose name I can't remember ever. So maybe they were just super superficial people who didn't care about anything. She also like was, in addition to her side hustle of helping essays, she like had to help her dad at the train station. Like she had to, she did the church piano accompaniment like music so like I feel like also like she pr- might just not hung out with them because she just didn't have time was also how I interpreted it if you're always at like home hanging out with your parents so, like yes I agree that the trope of like this is the most special girl to ever exist on the face of the planet but in this case it didn't bother me because I just like she was doing so many things like it kind of made sense to me that she didn't build friendships until like Paul like aggressively became her friend like not even aggressively he was just like <laughs> oh we're friends now and like it just was so, since you decided they were friends, they just became friends. Um, but I kind of believe that if like, you don't put in the effort to make friends, especially in high school, especially if you're like a little different than the other kids, it, I, I believe that like, she wouldn't necessarily be like, everyone's like, oh, she's smart. We should like befriend her. Cause she's very interesting. And yeah. I guess it's not even that she, like, I would have bought exactly how few friends she has. It's that I was like, I would have liked it if there was another really smart person in class. <laughs> um who was just like you know it's I don't know like a lot of times there is like a really smart person who's just smart and it but they also fit in and there so there isn't a story there so let's tell a story about the kid who is underestimated for whatever reason <laughs> Aster was the other smart really smart kid and everyone underestimated her because she was just pretty yes I and I and that's an undertold story too I do think the which is such a like lame thing to say like we should tell more stories about like overlooked pretty people who like don't get the credit they deserve but as someone who like almost all of my friends are super hot I will say they do not get enough credit for being smart and interesting (laughs) it's real 
It is a real thing. Especially yes, pretty, pretty people who are smart don't get recognized as smart. Is that what, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, well, cause she wasn't also, she wasn't just smart. She was really an interesting person who had a lot of her own yeah. like thoughts about things and she had interests. Cause there's a, like, you can be smart, but just be like kind of boring smart. Like you're good at your math homework, but she was like interested in things and she read books and like on her own time and would have opinions about those books and, and laughed at horror movies. And yeah, she was, a, I thought they did a good job of making her without making her the focus. Cause she was, I really appreciated that she was the third most important character um, without centering her. They did a really good job of making her genuinely interesting without being any sort of like movie trope interesting. Like she wasn't like, a manic pixie dream girl or like a Kristen Stewart long-haired sad brunette like she was just a person but an interesting person who was interesting in a distinct way that felt just her um, and especially because she was she like articulated insecurity that that might not be true I thought that was some some very good writing and kudos to that performer who I don't know <laughs> This was also one of those rare movies where I didn't know a single actor in the whole movie. I knew except the, oh, except the mom. Yeah, or not the mom, the teacher. I knew yeah. uh, Ellie's father. He is in The Matrix. He is the Oracle's uh, servant guy who's like a martial artist. He's also a martial artist, that actor. Okay, um, cool. And he's, and he's also in another martial arts movie with Jackie Chan. I like knowing that he could like kill somebody <laughs> with that character with his PhD in engineering and his dumplings just like sitting quietly in his armchair. I like knowing he has secret skills. You did spray that boy, the trig with the hose. Oh yeah, that was good. I wanted Ellie to say thank you like with her head down and going up the stairs. Like I just wanted to say thanks just for that little help. <laughs> Well, except that that sort of behavior that because it was trig, it was fine, but like it would drive me crazy. Actually, I would not have appreciated that at all. But, but I can handle trig on my own. Thanks, Dad. Please stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There could be that. <laughs> like, a, I just wanted a, a reaction or some sort of something to her father. True. But. Yeah. Did it bother you at all the like, he like gave her dumplings and then like didn't come say goodbye weirdness of that last like her parting scene uh now that you mention it yes um i don't know if the if um what's his name what's the main the main guy's name paul paul i don't know if paul's um running after the train um would be as uh i don't know a or like a moment for them a friendship moment if he was there i don't know yeah if, i almost wanted them to like, have a little scene where she said goodbye like hug like a silent montage scene where she hugged goodbye to her dad and then paul mm. drove her to the train station sure yeah, yeah. that solves the problem although her dad works at the train station so i, I don't know or does he <laughs> well she seems to do his job at the train station <laughs> yeah. I found that a little confusing. Yeah. But you know, food is love. So it's like he's making the dumplings. He's like, this is my way of saying I love you without saying it because I don't think he's the type of dad who says I love you with words. He's the one kind of dad who does it through actions. So like, I was like, oh, this is, he didn't have to say anything. He's just like making her a lot of dumplings so she will be well-fed when she goes to college. So like, 
I, I was satisfied with that as a conclusion. Yeah, that was definitely what they were going for. It just, yeah, it, I don't know. It's not that it bothered me. I was just, I had a moment of like, I wonder if that would bother someone else. So I thought I'd ask. <laughs> um, I, I also think they, the, they should watch more things on the TV every day because it seems like they're only watching old, old movies every night but they like old movies i know but like that that gets old after like how many days well no because the movies they're like, like did, that just there's tons and tons and tons of them it's like watching new movies like it's not i just feel like that they would end up watching the same like those same ones because they like those ones like especially the father because he's longing for i guess long like his his wife but um very possible but that it was like, did they ever watch regular television or like that's, I saw that once or like a channel change or something. Eh, I think it was a character point. It was like, this is the kind of movie that he likes. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. And then it helped her with her, like she was using the Philadelphia story as part yeah. of her teaching method. I don't know. That didn't bother me. Saya, closing thoughts on the half of it. Um, the director slash writer is, I saw this story in April. I'm like, oh, she's a crazy person. Cause she's oh. not really crazy. I, she like was having a hard time. This is her second feature, I think. And she like just couldn't really write it. And then she like gave her friend a thousand dollars. And she's like, if I don't have this draft in X amount of days, send this check to the NRA. So then she was just like motivated. She's like, I can't have that blood on my hands. So then she wrote the draft. And I'm like, that is ballsy and crazy. And I was just like, I'm obsessed with the story. I don't think I'm gutsy enough to ever do that. But I was like, that is, that is a, a way to get a script. Done. I feel like there's a way to do that where it's like, write a check to your friend and then you'll lose a thousand dollars. Whereas like, the threat of it going to the NRA is like very overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, like I would be overwhelmed by that. But like, I think, I, I don't know, as a writer, I'd be like, oh, my friend is just gonna get a thousand dollars. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. But like, if I knew the NRA was gonna get it, I'd be like, oh my God, I have to write this draft. So like, I kind of get taking it to that extreme measure. I'm just not that gutsy, but I read that. I was like, okay, respect Alice Wu. That is uh, it's very hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, that's also like very self-aware. Like, I know that I will not get this done unless I threaten myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Anyone else? Or shall we call it there? I, I just remember those letters that I, letters in her bag that were for the, like, for, oh, for the Paul's, company. for okay. Paul's, like, future. It was, she was trying to get food critics to come review the sausage talk. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, that like that didn't get end or closed like there was no ending to that or no like like he just looked at the letters and that was it there was nothing like they never talked about them after that but nothing it didn't happened need, it didn't need to be because it wasn't nothing needed to come of that because that was just a note of love is the effort you put in for other people yeah and no, then like i got that part like, too like he was like i'm getting her college application thing right like but I felt like he should, there should have been a result to that as well, even even though he got that note that he was doing something caring for her. Oh, I well, know. I can tell you exactly what happened. She sent the letters and got zero reply. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I thought that was sweet. I loved that as just a like very quiet, doesn't need to be explained note of 
she's putting in effort for because that at that point in the story too they hadn't like expressed their friendship really at all and so and nor had he taken that turn yet of like am I in love with her which I also normally that annoys me because like Saya pointed out a long time ago like you do so rarely see genuinely platonic male female friendships portrayed and so I'm very intense about like please don't ruin it by having someone secretly be in love with someone else but the way it happened in this I I do like the idea that he had that turn because I don't think he really was in love with her I think he just had that moment of confusion of like culturally we're told that like platonic friendships don't matter and platonic love isn't real and so when he started having strong feelings towards her he mixed them up and was like that must be what love is so it must be romance and I think that's very real especially for teenagers um and I really appreciated that moment and it's like sort of calm complexity um because it didn't like interfere and is a way to read it as more simple than that but I think that's what it was and it was cool but having that beat of basically just showing they're putting effort into each other that is not part of the original premise of their relationship. And that's showing us their trajectory they're on without having to have a scene of like, hey, you're like my best friend. <laughs> Which I appreciate it. <laughs> that's the thing on Bones. They never established, there was like, because obviously Bones was like really unemotional and then she had a quote unquote best friend character who worked with her, but they never did a good job of establishing that they were friends or why they were friends or what that connection was. So what they did was just have Angela start every sentence with, Bones, you're my best friend. <laughs> and it was crazy because it was just nothing. It was just, their whole friendship was just her saying that you're my best friend. <laughs> okay, maybe let's leave it there. <laughs> It's my that's my bone fact bones factoid for the week. <laughs> okay, bye guys. Bye.